and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. We encourage you to find Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 in your Bibles, because we're returning to see more spiritual lessons which we can learn from the ancient church of Pergamum. Some of the lessons today will be God chastens or spanks his own redeemed children when we need it. Some Christ rejectors will be very surprised to see a coming Christ, a combative Christ, and a condemning Christ. And now, with his message for this morning, our senior pastor, Robert Elliott. 1 Corinthians 11, 31 says, But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. And then in Hebrews 12, verses 4 through 11, You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and your striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom he, the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we have had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness." All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. If we will judge our sin to be sin, God will not have to judge us. But if we refuse to judge our sin to be sin, God will have to judge us, chasten us, spank us. It's a sign of being a legitimate redeemed, born again, son or daughter of God. And so again, did you hear it? God the Father's judgment of his adoptive children is most frequently called discipline. In this passage is also likened to rebuke or punishment or hardship or training. If we are saved and if we refuse to keep ourselves sexually pure by walking in the provided Holy Spirit, then we can expect judgment from God. The judgment will be discipline that will rebuke, punish, and train us. Discipline that will usher hardships into our lives. If there is any sexual impurity in our lives, we need to judge ourselves aright. Further, we need to repent. Further, we need to take measures to protect ourselves from temptation. Further, we need to bring ourselves into accountability regarding this area of our lives. If we don't take these measures, if we refuse to take these measures, verse 16b has a warning. I am coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. The repercussions are if the believer doesn't take these measures of confession of sin, repentance from sin, and measures to protect from falling back into sin. The repercussions here in verse 16 is that there will be a coming Christ, a combative Christ, and a condemning Christ. A coming Christ, 
a combative Christ and a condemning Christ. And what is Christ's weapon? The sword of his mouth. It surfaces again here in verse 16. Repent, therefore, or else I'm coming to you quickly, and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. God's word, God's scripture, is spoken by God's son, and that is his weapon of judgment. If any sexually impure Christians at ancient Pergamum refused to repent, choosing instead to side with the Balaamites and the Nicolaitans, then they could be sure that Christ would oppose them in his war against evil. That is a serious warning. And the first part of verse 17 continues, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Next Overcomers are mentioned once again. Remember, the overcomers are all true Christians. 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? An overcomer is the person who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, an overcomer is a born-again believer. If you're a born-again believer, you are an overcomer. Let's read the rest of verse 17, Revelation 2, the rest of verse 17. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which no one knows, but he who receives it. Two things are promised to all overcomers. Two things are promised to all true Christians. Number one, some of the hidden manna. And number two, a white stone with a new name on it. So what are these two future blessings that the overcomer is to expect, that the believer in Jesus is to expect? Well, first recall that the manna, was given by God in the Old Testament to be food for the Israelites when they wandered in the desert. It was hidden, manna was hidden in the Ark of the Covenant by the directive of God. In John chapter 6, verses 48 to 51, Jesus called himself the bread of life in a contrast to the wilderness manna. And in John 6, 48 to 51, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Today and in the future, Christians feed spiritually on Christ. Christ is the real manna who is hidden right now. So in promising us some hidden manna, Jesus Christ is promising us himself as our sustenance. Now, what about this white stone that overcomers are to expect? What is the white stone? Well, what the white stone is has been debated by good Bible students. It could mean, one, the white stone used to vote for acquittal in a trial. Uh, Believers are acquitted in Jesus, justified by God's amazing grace. So it could be that. Or two, the white stone given to the winning athletes in ancient 
Olympic Games. It was part of the prize for winning, and it served as an admission ticket into the winner's celebration. Could mean that. Or three, the white stone called the tesseron. The tesseron was an admission pass into certain idol worship that went on in ancient Pergamum. With the tesseron, the worshiper knew the secret name of the idol being worshipped that day. So those are three possibilities. But whatever the background of the white stone is, we do know this, and I'm quoting Dr. Tom Constable of Dallas Theological Seminary, quote, The Christian's white stone is his or her pass to heaven and the marriage supper of the Lamb. The name on that stone is overcomer or the equivalent. It is unknown to others in the sense that others are not overcomers. End of quote. Pergamum has been an interesting and a most instructive ancient local church. She has taught us five things. One, the Bible is not benign. Two, Satan's strongholds can have Christian casualties. Three, a church can be courageous but corrupt. Four, heresy hurts. Grace is not sexual license. Five, Christ sustains us. Christ will celebrate with us. He or she who has an ear, let him or her hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas. And this morning we want to continue talking about how we as Christians need to impact our culture. And last week we talked about John 15, 18, and 21. And we talked about how we are in this world to make a difference. And we need to understand that as culture throws things at us, whether it be in movies, whether it be social media, TV, whatever it is, we need to understand that we need to take a stand. Whatever our friends say, we need to take a stand. And I want to just continue on that. And I want us to look at three other verses from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. It says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possession, not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away but the one who does the will of God remains forever. You see, we need to understand again, as we talked about last week, and we continue talking about that we are not to love the world. And what do we mean by the world? We mean the things of this world. We're talking about how we need to filter everything through the word of God. What does God's word tell us to do? You know, I want you to just think for a second. And I want you to make a mental note or, or write it down. And I want you to think about this. How much time have you spent watching movies this week? How much time have you spent on social media this week, TV, internet, whatever it may be? I want to ask you this. How has that helped you make an impact for God this week? You see, a couple of months ago, we talked about how social media is a great tool that God has given us. But we need to understand that social media can also be a hindrance to what our relationship with God is all about. Because what we share, we, we, we let people see the type of person we are. And we need to understand the world has a lot of things out there that we can share. And it's so easy to push that share button on social media and, and just share things that we know aren't pleasing to God. And this is saying, do not love the world 
or the things in this world. You see, we need to understand that it's so easy to get wrapped up in, in worldly things. It's so easy to get wrapped up. And this is why he continues, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So I want to ask you, and I want you to think about this. What is most important to you? Is it God's word? Is it the love of God? Or is it the things of this world? Are you willing to take a stand no matter what? And it goes on in verse 16, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. You know, we need to understand that as, as we consider and we talk about lust, you know, there are so many th ways and we consider the first sin as we think of Adam and Eve and we think of Eve as she saw the fruit first and she saw, saw that it was good. And we saw as, as Satan is, is, is talking to her and telling her, you know, he doesn't, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because you're going to become like him. We need to understand that, that as we think about this, first of all, it was what she saw. She saw the fruit and it looked good. It's just like us in our world today. We see something that we like and, and we need to, and we want more of it. You know, it's just like in anything. You know, imagine food for a second. You know, I'm a person, I like a good steak. But I should not eat steak every single day of my life. That's not the best meal for me to have because it's just not. But if I have a good piece of steak, I may always be drawn to that. You see, it's just like what the world, that, what this verse is saying, that we need not let our eyes, what we see, make us want more of it. Because that's what the world wants. The world wants us to be enticed. It shows us things that we like and we continue to do it. You know, I'm a person, and, and, and I tell young people this because I think this is very important, that sin is fun. And the reality is sin is fun because if it wasn't fun, we wouldn't want nothing to do with it. And that's what Satan is trying to tell us that, you know, why not do this? this is, you're going to have so much fun doing this. Whether it be if you're a bunch of friends and you're drinking and you're smoking and whatever it may be, you, you see a nice young lady or a, a guy and, and you're attracted to them. There's nothing wrong with seeing someone and in, in saying that that person looks nice or whatever. But it's what we do with those after that. Do we lust? Do we want to see more? You know, for, for a young person, a young guy listening, I know that pornography is something that a lot of people struggle with. As, as that, again, it's the lust of the eyes. They see something and they want more. And again, this is of the world. The world is just in bringing us in and enticing us. As, like I said, as you think of social media, you can go online and you can see so much stuff that the eyes would be drawn to. But we need not to let that control us. And he said that the pride in one's possessions. You see, we, we live in a world where we look at other people's things and we say, you know what? I would like to have that. I want some of that. And I think that that's our problem today, that we have become so caught on what the world is offering, where we as believers, we want the best. We want the newest thing on the market when we need to consider what's going on around us. How can we, how can this impact people with the word of God? How can this impact people into a relationship with God? And in closing, verse 17 says, And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. You see, we need to understand this morning as we consider the lust, that they consider that this is just lust that we have, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. You see, as a believer, we are called to do things that are pleasing to God. And we need to understand that the will of God remains forever. Lust will pass away. Things that we want, they, they're going to pass away. It's just like, for an example, when you consider 
every year a new iPhone, a new Samsung phone comes out, a new gaming system comes out, we always want the newest thing on the market. You see, because they don't get it right the first time. But when we consider God and his word and we consider what God's will for our lives, he gets it right the first time. He gets it right at the time that he, whenever he reveals to us what his will of our lives are. And we need to be seeking after God to know the will of our lives. And it says this, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. So I want you to consider this. What is it that you are pursuing? Are you pursuing things that are not going to bring satisfaction for the rest of your life? Whether it be electronics, whether it be movies, whatever it may be. Or are you going to pursue Christ and let him control everything? Whatever he wants you to do in your life, you're going to follow. Because that is what will remain forever. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Well, this morning I'm grateful to have in the radio studio with me Dr. Marlene Heiler. Good morning. Good morning. God has used Dr. Heiler to co-found the New Providence Classical School in Nassau. And she is also a trained professional Christian counselor. And she's just an easy person to talk to, too. Uh, and I appreciate that. This morning, we want to talk about some common counseling issues that uh, you would do well to speak to because of your experience. Is there biblical hope for the person listening who has marriage-related problems? Yes. Yes, there's biblical hope because with God, all things are possible. Amen. All things are possible. And as I reflected on that, I think of Philippians 2, where the scripture talks about it's God who's working in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Yes. So you don't have to do it by yourself. No. And you don't even have to be willing. You just have to be willing to be willing. And God, it's amazing. I don't know. You know, it's amazing how that works. God strengthens you on the inside. Mm -hmm. And he gives you the willingness to do the hard work of restoration or whatever the internal work is you have to do. The Lord is there with you. Yes, that's why it says in Ecclesiastes that a strand of three cords is not easily broken. broken. And the Lord has to be in that marriage with each husband and wife. What about the uh, person who's... Um, facing some other major issue, um, maybe it's not marriage-related, uh, money-related, job-related, parenting-related, where would you uh, point them? Certainly not to Oprah <laughs> or Rob Bell, the, the high priest of heresy, but um, where would you point a person who needs help? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is the Christian Counseling Center. Mm. The Arnets are amazing, and I point people there all the time. I would say go to your pastor. Clients have told me in the past that, well, like pastor gave me a verse. So if you unpacking this issue with your pastor and you're not feeling peace and it doesn't feel right mm -hmm. and it is not helping you practically, you have permission to go elsewhere. Yes, where, where the Word of God is the foundation to what is shared. That's so true. Um, I have no trouble. In fact, I have great encouragement when a person says, you know, Pastor, I'm going to the Christian Counseling Center and getting Bible-based Christian counseling from Pastor Annette or, 
or Mrs. Arnett or some other counselor, I go, wonderful. And I want to say that if you're out there and you're hurting, the Lord doesn't want you to be hurting, and he doesn't want you to be alone. And um, you also need to realize if you keep pretending, if you keep violating spiritual laws, physical laws, you're not getting enough sleep, Mm -hmm. you're not eating right, you cannot violate biblical laws, natural laws, relationship laws, and keep being whole. Mm -hmm. You can't be whole. And so you're going to hit a wall financially or physically or in your relationship. Somehow the pain is going to show up. Disease, if you're uneasy somewhere, leads to disease. So if it doesn't blow up in your face financially or in your relationship or on the job, it can even show up in your body, manifest as an illness. Wow. Did you say dis-ease, the lack of ease, will lead to? Disease. Disease. Wow, I've never heard that, but that's true. We are whole people. We are body, soul, and spirit, and we can't just compartmentalize these things that they inter- intertwine. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for a very practical uh, time considering commonly presented uh, issues to Christian counselors. I wonder if you could pray again for our, count- our f- friends. Thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have a very best plan for each person listening. Mm-hmm. And that if they're not experiencing that very best plan, there's help. First of all, there's you. They only have to say, Lord, help. They only have to reach up to you in prayer. And Father, I pray that you would give them the courage to meet the aloneness, the discouragement. If they can't feel their their feelings, if they're numb, Lord, that person is experiencing clinical depression and mm-hmm. they need help. So I pray that you you just convict them in a, in a loving way to say, you need help and give them the courage to reach out and to reach up. And we pray for wholeness. We pray for the restoration of marriage where it's needed. We pray for clarity, direction, and peace where it's needed. We pray for for wellness, Lord, because you want us to be whole. Mm-hmm. And I just thank you for how you're going to answer these prayers. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. I have a question based on Acts chapter 2, verse 41. So then, those who had received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The question is, were there enough pools and reservoirs to baptize 3,000 people in Jerusalem during one day? Well, there were eight large pools in Jerusalem during the first century period. In addition, there were hundreds 
of Jewish ritual pools. 48 of these ritual pools have been excavated just south of the temple area, and there were plenty of pools available to baptize new believers in Jerusalem. I have a question based on Acts 3, 19 and 20. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus the Christ, appointed for you. Question. Would Jesus have returned and set up his kingdom if the Jewish people had repented? It seems likely that if the Jewish people had repented at Peter's preaching, there might have been a very short church age. But Peter was not locking himself into a time schedule for prophetic events. His point is simply that there can be no blessing until the Jewish nation changes its mind about Jesus. Jesus will not come bringing the blessings of the kingdom apart from Israel's repentance. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N16. 84 Nassau Bahamas And remember everyone needs a savior